Welcome to CS Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 102 of CS Radio. I'm J. Michael DeAngelis. And I'm Amy Lynn Kirshner. Amy Lynn, it's time to put the games away. Oh, that was fun. I know, we had a lot of fun the last two weeks, and uh, I think we will revisit that in one way or another before this season is done. We should. Um, That is not to say we're not going to have some fun today. Indeed. We have a special guest today, which I'm very excited about. We have Warden MBA alum Peter Yawitz, who is the author of a new book, Flip Flops and Microwave Fish. And also, title right out of the gate. Exactly. And he's also someone else's dad. That's right. Peter runs the website, video series, and podcast, Advice from Someone Else's Dad. And that is exactly what it sounds like. Peter gives advice to young people just starting out in the workplace about workplace culture, how to handle certain interview questions. He takes questions on his website. Now he's got a weekly podcast. And now he's got a new book. He is also one of the funniest guys you're going to meet. We're excited to talk with him. So hello, I'm Michael, and this is me, Lynn. We're so Hi. glad that we can talk with you today. And same here. I'm happy to be here. You know, sure. we'd like to, to have our audience learn a little bit more about your background and how you started doing this and why you started the uh, Advice from Someone Else's Dad website and podcast and brand. Well, I'll quote something that Lily Tomlin once said. Just uh, She said, in my eyes, I've always been famous. It took the public a little while to catch on. So in my <laughs> eyes, I've always been an advice giver, someone else's dad. And it just took a while for people to realize, oh, I had something interesting to say, especially when my kids were out of the room. So maybe, ah. maybe I'll, I'll start it that way. But my career has been, I've, I've been a management communication consultant for many, many years. And so I've traveled around the world working for companies, helping people identify their audiences and what messages they need to get business done effectively. And over the years, even though I work with very senior people, I also have a chance to work with junior people. And one of the favorite things that I've done or I continue to do is to do seminars for new hires. And they could be international new hires all coming to New York, which is where I'm based for their indoctrination into the firm and I'm asked to come in to talk about basic communication issues or what life is like at work and they just uh, I guess the students or my students their employees now become kind of comfortable with me so I open it up to questions and over time when people find themselves comfortable with me they just ask questions in a I would say a no holds barred atmosphere they'll ask me questions and they're not asking their managers. They have no idea how to deal with issues. So they felt very comfortable asking me questions. And that's what started this brand of advice from someone else's dad. The questions were things like, you know, what do you do when you go to the bathroom and your boss is in the adjacent stall and ask you a question? Do you have to talk? You know, these oh are real gosh. issues that we've all dealt with, right? We go, oh my gosh, right? We've all I will there. say, I not in this office, but I had a boss <laughs> that was like his favorite place to chat. No, no. And you, everybody tried to time their trips accordingly. <laughs> you just watch him. When he's back, then you can go. Yep, right? then you go. Exactly. So, I mean, what a place you're so vulnerable and you're entitled to, for a little, to a little privacy. And my advice is you can say, can you just give me a minute? And then you have another oh, time to answer. chat. You know, why can't you just say that? And then the other one that I thought was very funny was someone, you know, funny, I don't want to laugh at anybody's questions because they're all valid questions. Someone said in complete seriousness, what happens when you're working with someone at work and that person is totally hot? (laughs) 
right? I mean, listen, we're all human beings. Just because you're 22 years old doesn't mean that's that's going to stop when you're 23. These things happen throughout your life. You're a human. So the question is, all right, you might find somebody that you're attracted to, but if it's in a business situation, you have to find ways to eliminate whatever distractions you're facing and be able to focus on the main message. So it's about compartmentalizing a little bit and eliminating distractions. But I, right, these not, are real issues that people ask me. So yeah, exactly. I started the the website, Someone Else's Dad, just to respond to that. And it started with some fun videos where I, I wrote some scripts and I hired actors to act as young, semi-clueless workers and, and super dad. I don't want to call myself that, but the advice from someone else comes in to give advice and hopefully save the day. And then from then became an Ask Dad column where people continually submit questions to me about how to deal with life at work. And from that, the book deal came. And the, the book deal is all about this brand, Advice from Someone Else's Dad, with the title now, Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, Navigating the Do's and Don'ts of Workplace Culture. So that comes out on January 14th, and I'm quite excited about it. So those are both do's, right? Microwaving fish in the office? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the office. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> right. Depends on the office. The two of you worked together, and you brought in some three-day-old cod that you wanted to uh, heat up because you really loved it, Milan. Michael might uh, sit there and either throw up quietly in his trash I'd have, can. I'd have questions. If I shared, yeah. though, it yeah. would be fine. Yeah, if you shared. I, all I have to say is, listen, if you know that's a smelly thing, tell people you're going to do it. Would you mind if I reheated this? and then have some Lysol disinfectant of some sort to make sure it smells. And open the windows, too. Well, so we are in a basement. We Badly. have no windows. <laughs> and our microwave is in the student waiting area. And brand new. Yeah, so it's it would be a really strategically poor decision on Milan's part. Poor decision. Also, talk about first impressions. Hey, let's go over to career services for the first time. And the first thing you notice is some intense curried fish. Maybe I don't want to go there oh. again. Like fish. Not, yeah. Nothing wrong with curried fish, but that's not the first impression that I want. Not in the workplace. No, that's a yeah, great title. It's very funny. <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned before, and as our audience of this podcast knows, that I have, I think I share with you a sort of passion for performing and for, for writing. I was really struck by your videos, the, the obvious uh, joy that you had in producing them. So can you talk a little bit about maybe blending your, your sort of workplace savvy and your comedic chops? Well, I think maybe that's why I was a misfit and I haven't held a real job in many, many years. <laughs> I, I, when I left Wharton, I got my MBA from Wharton in 1986 and I decided to be serious for a bit. And, and this is in the late eight, mid 80s. And I worked for a couple of very formal institutional firms. And I guess the first thing that struck me was I don't want to aspire to be my bosses. Nothing against them, but I just didn't see myself as one of them because I had this other side as kind of the class clown that wouldn't go away. And during that time, I, uh, my free time, I can't believe I had all that energy. I, I would perform in shows in an amateur theater group. And, you know, then things had to calm down. We had children and I couldn't have that hobby so much anymore. But, uh, I, and also at that time, I realized that I didn't want to work for other people. I wanted to figure out a better career for myself and turn that into a consulting practice, which was quite nice for me. Uh, another thing that you might be interested in, Michael, is that when my kids were growing older and then they had their own hobbies, I think I was driving everyone crazy because I was so work-focused, and I think my wife said, you know, can you get out of the house and do something else? Yeah. You're driving us crazy. So I uh, wrote a one-man show, sort of oh, a... Oh, fascinating. Well, 
Yeah, I wrote a one-man show with original comedy songs just for fun. I didn't know that, you know, I'm not, I can't say I was a huge fan of cabaret, but I, I was always pretty creative in writing. So I wrote some funny songs and I performed them at a club and someone said, oh, you have to have the, the critics come to see you. So I didn't, I said, I didn't know they're cabaret critics, but I found them and I, they came to the show. And at the end of the year, I got a call from one of them. And they said, we've just awarded you the nightlife award for the best musical comedy performance of the year. So wow. I was, I think I, so I like called my, I was texting my wife. She said, I won something. And so this was back in 04, 05. And that was kind of a feather in my cap because I, I had to perform at the town hall in New York with people who won in other categories, all of whom I've heard of. And, I, you know, no one had ever heard of me. So that was a nice way to balance things. So when I have time or during my career, when I've had time, I try to do a little performing. What, what's come now, what I do now is, you know, I'd say my two passions, I, I really do like songwriting and performing, but I'm also on the board of directors of the Greater New York Chapter of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, uh, and I host an annual benefit called Broadway's Got Guts. And we have Broadway performers come and entertain, and we raise a lot of money. And because it's my idea, I get to host and write a new song every year. So that's my way yeah. of hobnobbing with Broadway people and uh, and staying on top of things. So one of fantastic. the board members came, came and wanted to have lunch with me afterwards, and he said, no, let me talk about your career. And I, and I said, well, I'm a business person. He said, I had no idea. <laughs> I said, well, let's switch gears a minute. I want, to, I want to talk about business. The other thing is just kind of fun for me. That's great. So since we are the University of Pennsylvania podcast, yes. I wonder if you could think back on your time at being a Wharton MBA and share um, maybe some memories of, of Penn or anything that happened here that maybe uh, shaped your current career. Well, it's interesting. I didn't have a business background uh, in the four years between college and when I started at Wharton. So everything was brand new to me. I really started with a clean slate in terms of finance and marketing. I had worked in real estate before, so I was focused on a career in real estate, which is what I ended, I ended up doing for four years after Wharton. So I was very focused on that, but then I also wanted to keep the creative side alive, and I did the Wharton Follies, which was a, a lot of fun. In fact, mm. some of my, my best friends from, from Wharton come from those times of the Wharton Follies. So an interesting story about that, though, was because I was totally green. First semester, I took this class in marketing, and the professor said, get into groups, and I want you to come up with what you think together, what you think is the most important skill you'll take from your Wharton experience. And for me, you know, I was, as I said, I was a clean slate. I didn't know anything, and, but I just learned about things like net present value and IRR. So I said, well, it's clearly the most important thing you would learn. And a bunch of other tools like me were arguing, like, which is the most important skill. And a woman in our group said, I think the most important thing is how to listen. And probably a bunch of us guys laughed her down. She's like, are you kidding? You know, we didn't spend all this tuition money just to learn how to listen. Are you out of your mind? Listening. I'm not paying this tuition to learn how to listen. I know how to listen. So then we regrouped and the professor said, oh, what did you all come up with? And a bunch of us said the typical things, IRR, NPV, management consulting issues. And the professor said, uh, did anyone, anyone's group come up with how to listen? And our hands all shut up. Yes, that's what we came up with. Our team decided that that's right. That's the most important thing. And now that I'm older and wiser, I've worked for many years, I have to say that I agree with him. So much of communication is lost because people don't listen effectively. So I spend a lot of time when I do seminars for anybody talking about what we do when we listen. And, you know, and it's kind of fun because I look around and I say, what are you, you're all doing it right now to me. It, 
uh, they'll say, what are, you, what are you doing? And they also, I'm looking at you, and I said you were looking at me, and some of you, when I give you eye contact, what are you doing? You're nodding your head, right, exactly, right? That's what we know to do. And then I say, okay, raise your hand if you've ever faked that in your life. And everyone's hand goes up, of course, yeah. right? Present company included. I can see you on this webcam here. So raise your hands if you've ever faked it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> thank you. I'm raising my hand as well. But we're all distracted. I mean, by the person who's hot, right? By that person who's hot that you're dealing with, the fact that you might be hot in your basement room, the fact that you've got a full schedule, the fact that your phone is dying to be picked up by you because you're missing something in this last 10 seconds. So we're, we're distracted by a lot of things, but when you're a junior member of a team, so much of what you're doing is listening and synthesizing and getting back to the person. So everything is clearly communicated. So an important skill to master, and it's very hard, is to paraphrase what somebody has said, not just the words, but paraphrase what somebody means and the reason why somebody's asking you to do something. Of course, there's nothing wrong with taking notes, but it's important to be able to say, well, before I move on to the next step, uh, let me just sure I have this right. And it serves several purposes. It serves the purpose for you to make sure you're getting it right. It serves the purpose for the speaker who can say, uh, yeah, that's, pretty much what I said, Michael, but I want to clarify a couple of things. Mm -hmm. And it also clarifies it for me, Lynn, who wasn't paying attention at all. And it's like, well, at least Michael is paying attention. Typical. <laughs> You're on to me. <laughs> yeah. So I believe it. So even though I was totally, I was totally green and, and uh, not experienced, it really put me in my place. Yeah. Well, so that, that wonder if we could then back up in time a little bit more. And then if you didn't have a, a business experience before uh, pursuing your MBA, what was your undergraduate degree in? It was in psychology. Hmm. It was in psychology at, at Princeton. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. And I think a lot of young people still have that feeling. What You're at a school where everyone seems so focused about pre-professionalism. And I just wasn't. I flitted around with different majors for quite a long time. And then I ended up with this degree in psychology. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I had a bunch of dead-end jobs right after college. Uh, they were fine. Some of them were in the medical area, and then I got into this real estate. It was just kind of a mishmash of things. And, and I went to business school because I, I said, all right, I got to grow up and do something. And maybe an MBA at that point uh, made a lot of sense. Seemed risk-free because I knew yes. I'd be able to pay my loans back with an MBA back in the 80s. Yeah, right. So it seems like you have a grasp of the Penn students as well. <laughs> so I'm curious what advice you would have for a Penn student who's surrounded by all of these focused, pre-professional people who may not know uh, yeah. what, they're, what they want to do. What advice would you have for them? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think one is it doesn't help because of Instagram when everyone's saying, I'm so no. excited because look where I am now. I think you have to take a break from social media if that's at all possible, but also not be influenced by what other people are doing because what's right for one person is not necessarily right for you. And I'm sure the, the services that you provide in your office can help students either through psychometric profiles or just talking about where pe people's passions lie can help them figure out where they want to do. Now, that's not to say, I don't want to discourage anyone to, for applying for a job in banking or management consulting if they think, okay, this is something I, I, I want to do now uh, and I, maybe I can develop some skills. You don't want to say to anybody, well, I'm going to work it here at McKinsey as a stepping stone because it's, it's great work that you're doing and you should be honored to get a job like that. But be honest with yourself about why are you doing this? Where do you see yourself? If I want to save the world, maybe I have to take some steps to get there. And so really to answer your question what people, people don't fit in, I, I think that it takes a lot of research, talking to people like you, talking to people in different types of careers, using the alumni network and think 
differently. Think, you know, talk to people like me who were the other misfits who made a career out of something that didn't, I didn't even know this career existed. I had no grand plan, A, that I was going to work for myself, and B, that there was such a job as what I do, and then end up to be someone else's dad. My goodness. You know, when I was age, age 26 or something, like, what a horrible thing to be just to be someone else's dad, <laughs> sitting back in an easy chair, spewing advice to people and saying, ha, 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 young man, I can tell you what to do. That sounds pretty cheesy. Now, the million-dollar question. Oh, my gosh. Do your own kids listen to your advice, or does it only apply <laughs> to other children? Well, of course they don't listen to me. But <laughs> there have been times, actually, once my son, who is almost 30, said to me, you know, one thing you said to me, Dad, that I'll never forget is, and, and I stopped listening because I was completely floored by that. that <laughs> so then he told me that. And of course, I'd totally forgotten that I'd given that, that, given that advice. But then again, it was pretty good advice, and I was proud that he listened. So little things like that surprise me and make me quietly proud. Well, hey, can I we'll say something endorse. else about yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I was going to say something else about the people who don't fit in. I, as I said, I, you know, I've been on the board of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, so I deal with people who have certain limitations in their lives, and, but don't know how to put limitations on their lives, and that's why I really like to mentor young people to say life is long. There are a lot of things you can do, but also you have to balance it so you're happy and that it, it's, it's not going to add more stress in your life than it already exists. I look at stress, and I, listen, I'm, not a, I'm talking as though I have a degree in psychology, which I don't. But if you think about a glass that you have that's maybe three-quarters full of water, that's how much stress that we typically carry on just by being alive, by being a person. Do you want to add another even eighth of amount of water into that glass to add more stress? And if you do that, well, what can you decant? What one-eighth can you take off? To replace that, I know it's a it's it's a hard thing for a young person to figure out, but I like spending time with people, really thinking about what makes a difference to them. What do, what will they give up? What can they add for their happiness too? I mean, I think that's something that can apply to anyone, young or old. We talked about it almost exact way. We used a different metaphor. We were talking about burners on a stove, but we do talk about that all the time yeah. about finding balance and. You know, when making decisions based on, is this something that I can take on? What can I give up? What's going to make me happy? What's going to make me stressed? I think it's things that we have to check in about all the time. Well, that's great that you do that. That certainly didn't exist in my generation. And yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think want to say how the, the great, people turned out. but One of the great things about right now, though it's a challenging time, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations around wellness, particularly mm -hmm. uh, at Penn. And so it, it gives us a good way to, to frame these conversations in a way that we haven't been before. And I think right. it's important. And I think it's nice to be able to say that without there being a, a stigma about it, that we can just say, well, this is a stressful situation and that's okay. And let's Maybe the decision is I'm not going to do this and that's okay. That's wonderful yeah, that you like, do that. That's really wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And like what stress is worthwhile? Is it That's for right. a greater purpose? Is it a short-term thing you know you can get through? Is it for something you're passionate about? Kind of evaluating, right. is it I mean, stress? I feel that I stress? feel, you know, in my life, I am very, I have a lot of energy, and I'm always busy doing something. But just because I've worked for myself for a long time, I enjoy pretty much everything that I'm doing, unless it's like busy work, which can right. get me crazy. But I, I guess I'm in a phase now where I, only want to make sure that I'm truly enjoying what I want to do. And the fact that I wrote this book is takes me to a new area. Uh, I'm getting a lot of 
great feedback on the book. I hope actually when, you, when we talk about this, I hope that my book gives people a sense on how to eliminate some stress because I talk about things that most people will deal with at work, dealing with difficult people, yeah. dealing with how do you talk to someone in a difficult situation? How do you Obviously, have small right. talk with people which stresses people <laughs> out no end? Uh, how do you deal with people from different countries? I, I have a lot of fun with small talk because in, in some in seminars, I, what I'll do is remind people that first impressions mean a lot. And if, you and if you are now an integral member of the team who has to escort a client from the reception area all the way down the hall to the conference room, you have a choice. You can just walk quickly in front of somebody and not say anything, or you can make someone feel comfortable by just asking a couple of general open-ended questions. The easiest one, of course, is what does everyone talk about as the easy small talk? What do you think of that weather today, your weekend? Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> weekend, sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, that's fine. How, how was your weekend? But then again, you don't want to be too interested. Any of the W's, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> weather, weekend, and what's the third? Do you have another one? Wimbledon. Perfect. Wimbledon. Oh, yeah, well, there is Wimbledon. It has to be the right time of year. Of course, that could be a dead end for someone who doesn't like tennis. Yeah. What do you think of that Wimbledon match? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there's one of that. <laughs> But uh, I give people a lot of advice. Actually, in seminars, what I'll do is I will stand people up in a row, and I will be a different person each time. And the first person gets the easiest task, and I'll just say hello, and I'll put my hand out, and they'll have to shake my hand and start talking. And usually it is, uh, what do you think of the weather, or how was your trip in, or something like that. And my answers are usually pleasant. And then as I move down the line, I change my personality to something they're not expecting, and they have to deal with it. Uh, and it, and it, that happens. How was your trip? It was awful. It was awful. I was sitting next to this smelly guy who had microwave fish sitting next to me, <laughs> and I couldn't get any work done. The plane was late. I didn't make my connection. And now I'm here with you. And last time I met, no one gave me the time of day. So I don't know what I'm doing here. And then the next question can't be, oh, would you like some coffee? Because <laughs> that's not continuing the conversation. Right. So it's so an art that people don't like, but uh, it's, it's fun so to work on. You give uh, a lot of advice got the podcast and you get uh, people writing into the website. I wonder if there's been a, a question that has come up lately or, or what was one that really surprised you? You're like, oh, I, that's not one I was expecting. I can't say I've had anything really out of there, but I will tell you a, a story that I was telling this morning. I was doing a seminar in a college the other day, and I will often ask people what makes them listen? What makes them think that somebody's a good communicator? And typically in business, especially with senior people, we'll say something about a master of the content, doesn't use ums, you know, things like that. And this one young girl, she must have, you know, she was an undergraduate, said, I think it's someone who shows compassion. And I wish that more people in business, more senior people, would say that's something I want to listen to. And then turn that around to say, if I'm going to be a speaker, if I want to persuade someone, I have to have some compassion for my audience to show that I understand what someone is facing, but also I have to tell a story that lets people know how I would deal with it. So I know I'm not ask, ask, answering your question directly because I can't say any of the questions that I get are so wacko. I mean, some of them are, I guess the ones that I roll my eyes on are the ones that I find kind of obvious, but I don't want to make fun of those questions because people, they sure. wouldn't ask the questions if they didn't want to right. know the answer to them. But this is something that struck me recently, and I was actually pleased to hear that that people re realize that's gonna make me pay attention. And I wish more leaders understood that and turned it around so they would speak that way. Yeah, now I want to ask you 
about a question that I really hate getting. Oh, and I, in listening to your podcast, I feel like there's been some, you know, mixed messaging about it. But uh, I had a manager once who was very emphatic about this question and that I at the time did not have an answer to it. But where do you see yourself in five years? If you get that in an interview or even if you get it with a manager when you're doing a review or thinking about next steps, if you truly are open, <laughs> mm -hmm. where do you see yourself well, I, in five yeah. years? How do you feel? I, I, hate that, I hate that question too. And I really wonder why an interviewer feels that he or she has to ask that because what does that tell you about somebody? You know, it's either, right. <laughs> you know, it's you like want someone to be yeah. honest, but I don't want someone to, I think it's dishonest to say, I want to be working here at, Right. Google, you know, for five years and be sure yeah. that I'm, I'm promoted to this and this, because that's just such an average answer. I, I guess what I want to know is if, you know, if I ask that question because I have nothing else interesting to ask and they told me I should ask that question, I would want to hear what motivates somebody and what are they thinking big picture. doesn't mean I want to save the world in five years, but I would hope to have developed enough skills and been exposed to a lot of experiences that would make me feel that I could handle this type of client situation. Or that no matter where I ended up in five years, I felt confident that I could do something like that. Do, you know, fill in the blank there. So yeah. if I heard someone say that it is honest, but then again, it's not so definite that I would expect to be, ha I have a, you know, a house in the suburbs and three children yeah. and two cars. And because that's, frankly, it's just bullshit. I mean, I, I can't, did you five years ago did you know you would be in this role no yeah, of course not of course not there are some people that you might have heard who have had very specific goals and you know that's okay that's okay if they know what they want but i also think that by the time i interviewed them they had achieved something that they wanted but i don't know whether they would have said that in their initial interview right out of college so yeah. if you have an idea or some kind of blueprint of where you want, how you want your life to be professionally, I would focus more on the skill development so that will allow you to do more interesting tasks. And I would stay away from anything overly specific, which is antithetical to what I'd say about anything else, which is right. you should be specific Completely. about things and tell a story. Yeah, totally. But, but that one is one that how can interviewers, you- Interviewers, I would say not, you know, what is that question really telling you? Or how yeah. about this? What do you, how do you see yourself in 10 years? 15. Yeah. What about 20, buddy? Don't have an answer for me? <laughs> Turn it around. I was, I was seeing myself in 30 minutes. It's writing a thank you letter to you saying I'm not interested in working for you. That's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> right. I want to ask you this, if we have yeah. a second. Do you find Absolutely. that some of the students you're dealing with at Penn recognize early on that there is not a fit with someone and they take themselves out of the running for a job or they stay with it how do they deal with that because yeah. sometimes i think it's unfair for a company to send a complete jerk to represent the company but also sometimes you can tell if, if the manager says you know the way we work here is everyone works yeah. out together at the gym at five o'clock today and that's what develops camaraderie and strength and boy is that a turn off for some people some people would say yeah i'd love that and others will say wow that's really not me i don't want to feel that i have to do that how do you handle that at penn yeah, you know, I actually just had a student this morning who said that she she was so interesting. She was a first year student, but she said that she had uh, shadowed a psychiatrist and learned that, you know, she thought it was one thing, but from the shadowing, she realized it was probably a profession that she might not be well suited for because it did end up being pretty dark and depressing. 
So she was talking about alternatives, and I think that that's kind of where we focus. So what's the takeaway? What about that thing was the thing that you didn't like? And it it could be I learned that I have zero energy when I'm behind a screen all day. I have to have Mm -hmm. some kind of client or, you know, colleague interaction. I can't just be behind a a monitor. Or it could be the opposite, (laughs) that it's draining to be too interactive. That's right. So thinking about asking them to be pretty specific about where their energy was coming from, what they liked and didn't like. And then we've already kind of touched on this a bit, but having those networking conversations, it's really hard to get a gauge of those things broadly from an interview or a job posting. Yes, of course. But by speaking with people who do the work regularly or who are immersed in a corporate culture can better address, oh, yeah, that's just that one guy who always wants to work out at 5 p.m., but there's a whole other group of people that do happy hours, so you can find them. So really encouraging them to have those conversations. Yeah, because I've met people on the other side who are at a job, and they'll have me work or coach with coach somebody, and people will make complete inaccurate assumptions about somebody. And when I've talked to the person, I said, do you know that they think this? And, and it's like, oh, my God, why doesn't anybody tell me that? That's very, that is very interesting. I, I have a, a very good friend who he works from home by himself, and he, he asked me, he said, don't, don't you ever, like, just – feel like left out at work i was like left out from what it's like like when people come in on monday and they're talking about football and you gotta like talk about football i'm like no everybody knows i don't care about football that's fine me and natty talk about football and then i go great where are we going for lunch yeah. so i mean <laughs> like, he he had been in places where that like if you couldn't talk about the football game they didn't have anything to say to you so he was like, uh, you know what? I'm just gonna work. I don't have to deal with anybody. I'm gonna yeah. work. Alone, yeah. And I'm gonna pick yeah, my kids that up works at three o'clock. Yeah. So yeah. it is about it is about finding what works for you and being in the right in the right atmosphere. But also, yeah, you I could have... also, I mean, for this this particular woman I was thinking about, you know, she said she liked movies, and why couldn't she say at, during these morning schmoozes, "Hey, listen, I don't know anything about sports, but I saw this really great movie. Can we just talk about movies every now and then?" And no one's yeah. gonna. Yeah. Or even I just say, "Did anyone see?" That's right. Yeah, exactly. You can just insert the actual thing. So they're talking about football, but then you say, hey, did anyone see Ford v. Ferrari? I feel like everyone's talking about Right. That. I mean, you don't want to say something specific. Like, I'm really into, you know, horror movies where they cut people's heads off. Anyone see this one this weekend? Because then, well, set yourself up for being a, an outcast even more so by that. Admit to playing Dungeons & Dragons. Hey, hey, hey. Just kidding. We just did a two-part series on Dungeons & Dragons. I, I saw that on your website. And I didn't listen to it because I don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons. But that's well, just me. We actually, it was one of, I actually think, one of our most successful bits. And the second part should be out uh, today or tomorrow where we had gamers do a case interview. And it was I think really it's great. fascinating. That's great. Really and you know you have a self-selected group. Yeah. yeah. They really and I knew like, I will, like, I will not listen to it. But that's just me. Yeah, and I knew nothing about Dungeons and Dragons, and was forced into a not forced uh, joined a scenario <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> That's great. Well, it sounds like you two have a, a wonderful rapport, but also a great career services office where you provide a lot of good advice. I don't know whether you're anyone's dad or mom, but I think you provide a good good advice for your students, and it's great to talk to you. It was great to talk to you, you. as well. We look forward to your book, Flip Flops and Microwave Fish. And uh, we you can pre-order on Amazon. Go there you for go. it. Make all go your plugs. Visit the site. Make someone all my plugs. Yes. Someone else's dad. Listen to the podcast. Uh, it makes I'm a great what... companion piece to CS Radio. <laughs> it's required reading, you should say. I'm hoping to come down. I know that uh, the Career Services Office said that clubs would have to sponsor me to come, but uh, I'm going to see how yeah. I can work that out. 
I'd love to find a club. Anyone listening who wants to sponsor me to come down, uh, I might come down anyway, but it would be nice to have a, a specific venue for me to meet a lot of the people. I've become very friendly with Adam Grant, who has uh, been very awesome. supportive in this book, too. So it's nice. Uh, it's nice to be reconnected with Penn and the Wharton School, and I look forward to coming back. Great. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And thank you so much. Nice to talk to you. That was a delight. I'm so glad we got a chance to connect with Peter. And I'm very happy he also dislikes the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Because I have never liked that one. We uh, definitely recommend that you keep your eye out for his new book, Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, available for pre-order on Amazon. That's going to be coming out on January. And, of course, you can visit his website, Advice from Someone Else's Dad, and uh, listen to his podcast. It makes great companion listening to CS Radio. It really does. Perfect segue. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you here next time. This podcast is produced by the University of Pennsylvania Career Services Office, a division of the Vice Provost for University Life. Your hosts are Amy Lynn Kirshner and J. Michael DeAngelis. It's produced, mixed, and edited by Karen Yang. Special thanks to this week's guest, Peter Yawitz. We'll see you right here next time on CS Radio.